yes, I would, I would like to phrase Yoda here. Do or do not, there is no try. I find it so frustrating when people think that they are doing social media, they're doing content marketing by just creating the content. It's a bit like thinking yeah. you're building a house by holding a hammer. It's like, I'm building a house right here. You don't need anything else. My objective of this podcast is to deliver spectacular value to business owners and content strategies is one of those ways of doing it. Exactly. James Schramko here from superfastbusiness.com and you're listening to my friend Ash Roy on ProductiveInsights.com. Today's guest is an expert in SEO and content marketing and was introduced to me by Rand Fishkin. She is the CEO of Verve Search and is an internationally respected search marketing expert. She's won a number of prestigious awards and in 2011 she won the Search Personality of the Year at the UK Search Awards. And most recently in the European Search Awards they won the best SEO agency, the best content marketing campaign and the best pan-European campaign. That's right. Verve's unrivaled creativity and attention to detail has seen the company grow rapidly from a small team of passionate enthusiasts to an authoritative global service provider. I'm delighted to welcome the CEO of Verve Search, Lisa Myers. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's great to have you. So, Lisa, let's talk a little bit about your approach to content marketing. And we were talking a little bit earlier before we started this podcast formally, and you were telling us about how your approach to content marketing is a little bit different to the traditional content marketing. So can you talk to us a little bit about that and how you've come to develop this view around content marketing? Okay. Yes, I'd be very happy to. In fact, um, I feel very passionate about this and I might um, be doing this in, in maybe a uh, a higher speed than uh, than others, but that's because I really think that this is the way that things are going. So basically, I would say I've been in SEO for about ten years, uh-huh. um, and uh, the agents, uh, sorry, the, uh, the the industry has changed a lot in those uh, ten years. Uh, but when I started Verve Search in, in 2009, the kind of SEO we were doing were uh, already kind of based on kind of a social uh, view of creating um, content around uh, things that were interesting, et cetera, to, in order to get the, the links. So the link development were already based on content back when I started in 2009, 2010. Mm-hmm. But what was really been interesting is that the real huge uh, kind of leaps of, of changes that's happened in the algorithm from Google in in this point, which is where we've seen the content marketing revolution, if you will. Because Mm -hmm. uh, content has always been important and the the kind of saying content is king has been around since forever. So that isn't anything new, but how we cared about it became uh, explosive as soon as we realized that creating that content from a link development point of view was a, a crucial part of being able to be successful in SEO. Mm-hmm. Now, about 2012 time, this really changed when the big algorithm changes like the Penguin and Panda really hit um, uh, most uh, companies doing SEO. And so the kind of strategy that, that we used to do around content marketing, which was simply creating a great piece of content uh, and outreaching this content to a site where uh, they, would, uh, they would accept that content because it was good content, yep. that was really, really useful pre-2012. Mm-hmm. But coming to 2012, everyone was trying to do this because everyone heard of content marketing. In fact, agencies were like rebranding faster than you can say, geez, because they were literally just like, oh, no, no, now we're SEO and content marketing agencies. Yes. The problem with this is the simple fact and and actually very much in the, the ad agency kind of uh, world, they, they've always said this. If everyone is drawing a cross, you need to draw a circle. Yep. And the point is by this time, 2012, 2013, more and more people started doing uh, content marketing in the written form. The problem with everyone doing that is, I would probably say, and this is a bit harsh, 90% of that was <laughs> it was utter rubbish content. Yep. And so now the kind of great content that my team was writing uh, wasn't even getting to the right people because they got so much junk in their in their inboxes. It's a lot so of what, noise. Like just loads of noise. So this is when we realized that we had to re, um, rethink our strategy of, of content in terms of the traditional form, like uh, write written content. Mm-hmm. So for 
for me in 2015, so January 2015, was when I decided to, to go as far as closing what was the traditional content marketing team for Verve. Right. Uh, and instead focus on drawing the circles when they were all drawing mm -hmm. crosses. And in fact, in London, every big ad agency is now starting the content marketing uh, division or team, which is to me feeling, and this is going to be a bit rude, I warn you, it's a bit like what happened with social media. Every other Tom Harry were doing social media and were experts at it, which yeah. meant that most of it is just utter rubbish. Yeah. So so now we're, um, I realized that that wasn't going to work. We started doing more creative content, which is now, I would say, the big proportion of what we do in terms of link development, which is kind of what what Verve uh, Search specializes in, uh -huh. um, is to do with creative content. And creative content. And this is your circle as opposed to the cross that you were talking about that everyone's doing. Right, okay. Exactly. But I, I'm 100% I'm prepared for that in, in about a year or so time, everyone is going to be trying to do this kind of strategy. And that is the, that is the difference between a good SEA agency and a one yep. is you're the first one that, do, that does it and you have to keep on changing. You're on the edge. Yep, yep, cool. So tell me, I'm very excited. Tell me more about this creative content. How does it work? What does it look like? So um, once we first started the creative content, I suppose the, the initial campaigns that we did um, uh, were about, uh, was probably happened about 2000 and end of 2013, 2000, beginning of 2014, which were actually, we started, I think our first creative content campaign was 2012, um, but started, uh, this actually started to make a big difference. So for me, creative content is, uh, is more likely to, uh, to not be the written form, but to be something that, uh, is a, is a asset. So, you could kind of say it's creative assets. Um, so this could be, it could be visual storyboards. It could be videos. It could be... Um, Podcasts um, like we're doing right now. Absolutely, podcasts. <laughs> and it could be anything that uh, your, your target audience needs. And this is the big key. It's basically quite uh, specifically creative uh, campaigns that mm -hmm. is needed by okay. the sites that you're targeting. So for us, we kind of divide into two different strategies. So we uh, are using the strategy of creating um, great campaigns that attracts loads of attention. So it's what we used to call link baiting, remember? Yep. Like uh, the link baiting strategy is, is still valid, but it, the way that you work that uh, link baiting is not simply creating something and then waiting. It's then the outreach is important. Mm -hmm. But these campaigns are likely to be something that appeals to the masses. Mm -hmm. And it's more likely to be something that are your main target might be something like Mashable. Uh -huh. um, or BuzzFeed or that kind of stuff. So it's mass market stuff. But then what I think is the most exciting part of uh, creative uh, content that we are doing at the moment is actually the collaborative campaigns. Uh -huh. So collaborative campaigns is basically creating a piece of content in collaboration with a, a, a real high authoritative site. Uh -huh. So um, as an example, uh, a in and we work in several countries, so international base. So it's, it's taught us so much about uh, being able to target people and working with people because it's very different in each country. Yeah. So um, this is actually how we came, we kind of stumble upon the, the, the value of those collaborative campaigns. So we worked in, um, in Norway for Expedia. Uh, mm -hmm. And I'm originally Nor Norwegian, but I, d I was not prepared of how freaking difficult the Norwegians are. <laughs> I can say that I'm Norwegian. Um, they, they were just very, uh, they were just very reluctant to to um, take content or take creative stuff because they were suspicious. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I, to be honest, I I totally get that because I I am still like that. So we had to think differently. So instead of thinking, I think what most agencies and any people that does content marketing in general does is that they have a tendency to think that if something doesn't work, hmm. you go to a lower level. That is completely the wrong thing to do. Right. If something doesn't work and if something isn't um, 
uh, if you can't get the authority you need from a link point of view, you mm-hmm. don't go lower, you go higher. So can you tell us a bit more about what you mean by lower versus higher? Okay, so um, from a uh, SEO point of view, uh, the target site that you get a link from, um, it needs to have as high authority as possible. Right. So, for example, uh, a link from BBC is mm. worth probably 500 the times of a tiny little travel blog that, sure. that was started this year. Yep. So, in terms of authority and likely value to increase your rankings, yep. uh, the BBC link will be the ultimate, right? Right, absolutely. BBC or Apple or... Yeah, Google will rank that backlink much higher, yeah. Exactly. So, it, it, in fact, at Verve, we have an algorithm that gives a link a score metric that, that shows how likely it is to impact the rankings. Um, so, for, for us, we check every target site uh, according to that, um, uh, uh, that internal tool to, to figure out whether this is worth. But what is important is to, to really go for the higher ones, like... It seems quite obvious when I say it in hindsight, but I think this is what every kind of SEO and, and, and business person has to go through, hindsight. <laughs> um, and that is, if you create a classic kind of piece of content, if I created a written article yep. uh, and I wanted to get a link, I could then put that article to one journalist and get mm-hmm. one link. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you could argue, like all the blackouts would argue, well, you just spin that article and you get... 10 different versions and you get to well that's not in the business that I'm in yeah. but um, the, the point is that you create one and you get one back yep. but if you target the really really high authoritative sites and you collaborate collaborate, you are more likely to get uh, the big one and get as a result another 150 I see what you mean so you're saying that you try and collaborate with people above your level so you end up really leveraging that relationship. Exactly. Because they will be the ones like, so for our campaign uh, that we won the content, uh, the best content marketing uh, award for at the European Search Awards, uh, that was a very, very simple campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the point with that campaign is, is basically like a, um, you know, I, I love the, the way that language is. Like you can learn to, you can try to learn language, but uh, there's no way you're going to learn all the sayings or the idioms of that right. different languages because they're always so ridiculous. Yes. And so we we felt that that was quite a big part of, uh, that's a good travel angle because mm-hmm. uh, these idioms are usually so ridiculous to someone from the outside. So we had like, I think it was seven, oh, I think it was eight different idioms from all around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but we targeted Mashable um, as the site to collaborate with to get this uh, piece of content as the first uh, as first port of call. So right. they got exclusivity for this piece of content and it was very Mashable content. Yeah. But because it's Mashable and they have a ridiculous amount of social uh, capabilities and uh, readers, etc., once we got that link on Mashable, uh, we got like, I think it was like 6,000 um, shares within like an hour. Wow. Um, in fact, the total shares was huge. But also, I am absolutely 100% sure that at least 50 of those additional links we got was because of the coverage of Mashable. Because if you have the really big ones, it's, you, will, you will get free ones of the smaller ones because they will cover it. But it has to be absolutely awesome content. It can't be some like shoddy article or some infographic with loads of numbers. Like infographics, I very strongly think uh, are are dead because all, every SEO are doing infographics, and again, ninety percent of those are rubbish. Okay. Visual visual storyboards work, but not necessarily the kind of traditional infographic stuff. Question. Yeah. Where do you see guest posting in this scheme of things? Like if you guest post for a high authority site, Mm. would you call that a creative content strategy? Uh, Not really. So, um, no. So I, I, I have a, like a love and hate thing for bloggers. I don't think you should ever target bloggers. I think, uh, like, I'm now talking outside the tech community because the tech community, if you're talking the tech community, yes, absolutely. Okay. But if you're outside of the tech community, 
not so much. Like I work a lot in travel and fashion uh-huh. and, uh, oh my God, that's just totally different world. But yeah. as in for, I think it's a good business strategy to, uh-huh. to, uh, uh, guest blog and to write. Like for me, it's definitely a worthy strategy to guest blog for Moss. Uh-huh. But as in for my clients, I don't think it's really worth it. Uh, like, uh, if, even if they had a Huffington post spot, uh, it's worth it for the first link, but any of the other links is not necessarily, from an SEO point of view, uh-huh. the same value. It's kind uh-huh. of like goes through a sieve. It just kind of goes smaller and smaller. But then there will be loads of business strategies that that will be definitely worth it for, uh-huh. and you will get the social shares, etc. But then I am more or less, I am mostly in the business of influencing rankings for SEO. So I would say from an SEO point of view, no, but from a business point of view, maybe. Okay, cool. But I think uh, the, the interesting thing with um, uh, collaboration, though, is that if it, I think it would be better to do something really big on a one-off mm-hmm. than to do a constant small coll- collaboration thing. Right. So as I was saying earlier, and I'm sorry I'm speaking so fast and all over the place. That's cool. Uh, is is um, in Norway, we, we realized that the biggest and most authoritative sites that we could get in the Norwegian market for Expedia, being a travel client, was the tourist boards. Right. And most people would think, oh, well, there's no way you're going to get the tourist boards. And if you've ever been to uh, any of the Norwegian tourist boards, you'd be like, there's no way in hell going to be able to create something better than them because they literally have the most beautiful images and videos and the northern lights it's like art it's just so beautiful so the difference is that as an seo and as a content marketer your job is to be a professional labyrinth walker if you meet a dead end you need to find another way yeah so what we did is we analyzed the uh, the Norwegian Tourist Board's website yeah. uh, and figured out what are they lacking? What are they missing? What could they do with? Um, and realized that the main thing that they didn't have was Northern Lights being the main thing that they write about. They didn't have any way of explaining how they work. Okay. Like, it's super complicated and um, very interesting, but it's not a... a and you can... They had content, written content about how it works, but it's not easily digestible. Uh So we created kind of, back then we called it infographic, but it's not really infographic because it doesn't have loads of numbers. It's more like a visual story. Uh So a scrollable visual storyboard of how the Northern Lights works and how, where you can see them, how um, uh, the conditions, that optimal conditions and that kind of stuff. And then we went to the Norwegian Tourist Board and said, uh, we would like, this is our idea, this is our first draft, we would like to collaborate with you on this. So it's an associated piece, Expedia and Visit Norway. And they said, yes, please, can we have it in four languages? Wow. And and that that was like a first kind of collaborative campaign. Mm -hmm. And from that, it just got like, and I'll tell you the most insane one was the last one we did, which was for a small, small tourist board called uh, Narvik. So it's Visit Narvik, and they are basically up in northern Norway. And it happens to be uh, the place where um, when uh, World War II happened and the, the Germans came into Norway, that's where the naval battles happened. Uh-huh. And what's really interesting with this is we realized that it was the 75th anniversary of the uh, of that battle right. uh, this May. So uh, we realized they didn't have anything and there wasn't a lot talking about um, all of these ships that are still in the fjord in Narvik. Like wow. uh, there's, there's about like 15, 18 ships that are still down at the bottom of the fjord. In fact, divers from all over the world come to this place to uh, to, to look at these wrecks. So initially we thought this could be a cool little interactive map of all the different wreckage and uh, and what where what they were called and pictures of them before they sunk and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But then when we contacted Visit Narvik, they got so excited about the 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 piece that the the piece just grew and grew and grew, and and we got um, then the uh, war museum. introduced to us and we started collaborating with the tourist board and the war museum to create what became an interactive site on the Expedia website 
and mm. featured on the Visit Navik website about um, the the war and the, uh, the the wreckage. We even got uh, several um, we got several uh, veterans to in, interview, um, and so it kind of grew. And that's what you have to really be be uh, willing to do is to uh, to continue growing this campaign. Mm. And the results of this campaign, so obviously one of the main targets was getting visit Narvik, um, and we also got War Museum, uh, but this is where it starts getting really crazily good. Yeah. Uh, and it's not bragging uh, if it's true, basically. That's right. So, uh, so basically what we got was, in addition to getting these, uh, because we were collaborating with the Tourist Board and uh, the War Museum, now we had crazy authority, because now it wasn't some agency trying yeah. to get links we were creating something truly valuable yeah and so some of the highlights of the links we got was nrk which is the bbc of norway like right if you told me two years ago we could get links from nrk i would have laughed yeah um but also maybe more crazy and cool is we got links from the norwegian royal family wow and and the norwegian army right it's completely impossible to buy that kind of coverage. Right. But it's not buying the coverage because it was genuinely useful, great content. So something that's coming through to me really loud and clear is research your audience, understand your audience better than they understand themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially, and when I say um, from a link point of view, the audience then is the target sites. Mm. Like you really have to figure them out. You have to understand what do they need. And you just give them what they need. That's what you did, isn't it? You went in there and you looked at yeah. everything from every angle and you said, okay, they are missing something that lends itself to easy consumable content around the Northern Lights. And you went and built that for them. Or you went and found the things about the fjord and you created content around that. So you did a lot of research and that needs to be underscored here. Mm. The, the amount of yeah. effort that you went to go and find that nugget that they themselves hadn't even thought of looking for. Absolutely. And it, that's, that's, exa- uh, that's absolutely right. And I think those kind of strategies are basically from um, all ad agency uh, thinking. It's like it, it might take you five minutes to come up with the idea, but it's the research that you did beforehand yeah. or the thinking you did beforehand before that became the idea. Yes. That, that is what makes that a great idea. That's, that's a beautiful insight, actually. It's very similar to the concept people say, you know, it took me 10 years to become an overnight success. Yes. Exactly. And that's exa- a very similar principle, isn't it? Yeah. You have to put in the work to come up with that with the with the gold. You, you're not going to find the opportunity. You're not going to recognize it. Yeah unless you put the work in, which will prepare you to notice it when it presents itself. Yeah, exactly. And and that is a lot to do about, funnily enough, it's not about teaching anyone uh, how SEO works or how Google works or anything like that. It is all about psychology of people and uh, and and uh, they're teaching people how how they need to think almost, as in like uh, broadening their horizon, thinking um, what can I do to help them rather than trying to concentrate on the the goal, which is the link. Because yes. if you create really awesome content and you collaborate and you build it out and you actually went way above what the client has paid for or whatever you will be rewarded three times around and yeah. and that will be worth it in the end but you have to really 100 percent care about it you know i remember when i was talking to rand he said something very similar he said think about 10 or 15 actual people create the content for them that you think will be crazy useful for them that they will want to share not that you want them to share that they will want to share exactly exactly that is exactly the point it's like if it is 100 percent targeted and and useful for them they would be crazy to say no which is why they said can we have in four languages yeah Right, but, but, but you, you wouldn't leave it to the, the coincidence. It's like trying to push uh, content on someone that they don't need. It's just a complete, utter, u- useless waste of time. Yeah, yeah. So you have to be very sure that that'll be uh, that'll be re- relevant to them. Uh, but also, it has to be like I, 
I can't say how important it is for an SEA agency in 2015 to have a really freaking good designer and developer. Okay. Um, like, I don't, I don't think, like, we would not have won any of these awards if it wasn't for the, the, the kind of level of the design and the uh, execution and the problem solving, the research that was done behind it. Um, that's, that's actually not necessarily SEO, but you have to use that in order to, to get to the results that you need in, a, in SEO and, and content marketing in 2015. Well, you must send me a link to this campaign, which I will put yeah, in the show sure. notes, because yeah. I, I would love to share that design with the audience. Yeah. Okay, so that's a, that's a really big insight for the listeners. And that is, if you are looking to create content, don't just go through the motions. Mm. Do the research. Put yourself in your audience's shoes. Think about your audience. Think deeply about your audience, what they're looking for, and solve their problems with your content to the point where they just want to tell everybody about how good your content is. Exactly. That's awesome. Okay. Right. So... Um, that actually covers off the next question I was going to ask as well, and that is why is it important for businesses to have a really good handle on their creative content or their approach to content? And it is basically if you really get a good handle on it, your audience, your customers will want to share it with other customers and mm. you know it will promote itself. You don't have to promote it almost. No. And, and also, what I would say is that it cross disciplines. Like, if you can do good creative content, you are basically doing your SEO, your PR, your social media all in one sweep. Yes. Um, the, the important bit, bit about that part is that you have to make sure you, you have done it in such a, such a way that it will be uh, beneficial for SEO. Uh, which is why, like, I, I say this a lot. Like, if PR people really got SEO, we all be f- Pardon my French. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> right. So can you explain that to me again? If, if PR people yeah. all got SEO. Yeah. And the, the difference is that there are, uh, there are loads of amazing creative agencies. There are loads of amazing uh, social agency and PR agencies. But uh, the real difference with what we do is that we make it actually uh, relate to the bottom line. You know, um, they, it's not about uh, just getting branding. Like, for example, for that Idiom of the World campaign, mm-hmm. uh, that was actually printed in the Observer on Sunday, which is this, one of the biggest Sunday newspapers in the UK. Yeah. There was like a, this big piece yeah. of this uh, Idioms of the World campaign in the paper. Right. I could give a shit, to be honest, yeah. because that's a PR related. But from a PR point of view, that would have been their target. But for us, we are doing this in order to increase the rankings so we can uh, generate more traffic that is actual business for the, 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 the clients. Yes. So the difference is that um, if, if PR people and social people really understood how to make it uh, impact the bottom line, mm-hmm. that would be a big danger to, to right, actual right. SEO people. Uh, but mean. having been in SEO for 10 years, uh, I haven't seen any danger of that. I've seen awesome PR people working in SEO and people in SEO go into PR and, and, and there's a big bridge there. But it doesn't, it's, it's such a shame, like working with PR uh, teams and people where, where if anything, they just don't want you to, to do what you can do because they want, to, want it to be separate. Okay, well, if there's any PR people listening to this podcast, please turn it off right now because <laughs> <laughs> we don't want you getting in on the secret. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Okay, so, so the key takeaway is solve a problem with your content and don't do content for the sake of the content. The content is almost a method through which you deliver an amazing solution. Exactly. It's a little bit like this. It's, it's like, a medium. Uh, creating, creating, exactly. It's like when I say talk about social media, I say I find it so frustrating when people think that they are doing social media, they're doing content marketing by just creating the content. Yeah. It's a bit like thinking you're building a house by holding a hammer. Yeah. Like, I'm building a house right here. You don't need anything else. No. Right, It's right. terrible. Exactly. It's a lot that's of a, other things that you need to add to it. That's a great analogy, actually. I, I really like that. Building a house by holding a hammer. Exactly. My objective of this podcast is to deliver spectacular value to 
business owners and content strategies is one of those ways of doing it. That's the objective of the content. The content is just a tool which I'm using to do that. Mm, exactly. Okay, let's talk about ways in which we can come up with epic quality content sustainably and consistently because consistency is such an important part. Now, yeah. in one-off campaigns, I get it. I mean, the consistency and sustainability isn't so much of an issue. But over time, if we have long-term clients or if we have long-term uh, you know, an audience that's looking to us for information, how do you just hit the ball out of the park consistently mm. and over a long time? So, yeah. So um, it is uh, it is very important, especially when you do content, um, kind of creative content for SEO purposes, that you continuously do uh, get the the actual good campaigns running. Um, this is because most of the time, uh, most clients, I think we do we do a campaign every three months, and then we outreach. We spend months outreaching these campaigns. Um, but the good thing is. It's also so important to create campaigns that are are kind of evergreen, so that you can you will always have something to outreach. Oh yes, um, yep. And I suppose that is one of the biggest challenges from moving to a creative campaign um, is that we are now in the business of ideas more than anything, mm -hmm. and coming up with those ideas that will work. Um, I suppose what is really important is to not be afraid of the failing, because there will be times where you created a campaign that doesn't quite work or doesn't really get uh, what you want it to do. Or, um, but the, the crucial thing then is uh, not to give up. Right. Uh, because in, in essence, is in fact, I'm kind of against the word failing because in most scenarios, failing is just saying you're on the same spot as you were before you started. So mm. it's not actually minus anything. It's just you're on the same spot. Hey, right. we're on the same spot. Yep. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, the the point is that um, you need to be able to walk that labyrinth. So, for example, I've got loads of uh, examples where we created a campaign that we really did think would work, and then it didn't get the it didn't get mashable or it mm -hmm. didn't get the big link that we wanted. But the the important bit is that then we went back to the drawing board and said, "What can we do about this?" Uh, that will make it better. Can we slant the angle? Can we add something to it? Can we? And and nine times out of ten, um, we will be able to change it and uh, find an angle or uh, adjust something that will make it a lot better. Uh, and that you can only do if you aren't in the business of failing, as in you don't accept that there is a failing thing. It's just adaption, etc. Um, I think that's harder to do for people that run, like if you are a, let's say, I run my own, um, I don't know, printer agency or something, and and uh, and I want to uh, want to be able to content marketing, but then I also do business and uh, manage people and do all of these things at the same time. Um, I think it's very important if you do if you want to do uh, something like creative campaigns that you hire the right people to do it. I don't, unfortunately, I think that everyone could do, uh, be creative. And in fact, I think that my, my kind of, uh, one of my mottos in life is that there's no such thing that you can't do. It just some, it just takes, it might take you longer uh -huh. than others. So I would say for, for any business is to, to make sure that you find that person that has the ability and the passion most of all, to be able to think of ideas and work with ideas and execute ideas. Because as we know, everyone can come up with an idea. Uh, the difference with entrepreneurs or actual creative people is that they actually make that happen as well. And it also sounds to me like you do need to take some risks with the content. And that's what you were saying before, to accept that every one of them is not going to succeed. And you, you're, or depending on how you define success, but mm. you're still going to be closer to your goal. Because as you say, if you tweak it a little bit, nine times out of 10, it actually works the way you want. Mm. So I think the key is you have to take risks. You have to step outside the square if you really want to create spectacular stuff. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and especially when it comes to this kind of uh, creativity. Um, and I would like to emphasize that the, the, the most risky strategy isn't to do one big thing that you really believe in, but you have no idea whether this is going to work or not. And it's, that isn't the big risky one. In fact, the, what is more risky and what is frustrating for me as a business owner um, and someone that, that has adapted really quickly is, is people that wants to do, oh, why don't we just instead do 12 really small campaigns? Yeah. No, sold small campaigns. Mashable is not going to take a small campaign. <laughs> Go and talk to your bloggers again. This is a waste of time. <laughs> and so that is the really risky stuff because from SEO point of view, if, unless you get enough authority links to improve the rankings, What's the point? Yes. So it has to be big enough. In fact, the things, the campaigns, if there's if it's one person in the room that is so adamant that this campaign will work, they will make it work. So you have right. to, it has to be a lot of like, uh, I talk a lot at conferences about um, trusting your instinct uh, and how important that is. Like if you imagine an iceberg, your, your main kind of uh, conscious, uh, logical mind at the top and then your actual big subconscious part mm-hmm. uh, at the bottom. Most people work all in the top of yes. the iceberg and the yes. logical is like, oh, well, it, risk means if we do 12 small ones, that will be better. Yes. But the thing is that your actual intelligence and and uh, ability to be freaking awesome hmm. is all in the bottom subconscious part of your, right. your brain. Right. And that is where you get instincts, where you go like, this is just going to work. Yes. And you have to be able to believe in that. Like if you want to be... Um, uh, average, or if you want to 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 just uh, won't take any risk, go ahead, live in your logical uh, upper part. Yeah. But you are not going to get the big wins, okay? Because the only things that really really work, and this is especially from creativity, because what makes people really creative is often coming up with weird angles or things that others didn't think about. But hmm. that doesn't come from here. Hmm. That comes from gut and feeling, and yeah. no, this is going to work because. I don't know, but I know it's going to work. So what I'm hearing is don't be really cerebral about it. Jump into it with your whole being and invest yourself completely in the campaign if you really want to make it rock. Yes, I would I would like to phrase Yoda here. Do or do not, there is no try. <laughs> I saw that on your Skype thing and I was thinking that's really cool actually. <laughs> okay, some of the biggest challenges that people face in creating content is dancing around the edges. And as you say, one of the challenges people face that they probably don't realize they're facing is not committing wholeheartedly to the content piece or not willing, not being willing to take enough risks, which is a related challenge. Are there any other big challenges you've seen people face when it comes to creative content and how have they best overcome them? Yeah. Um, yes, I, I have been through loads of these challenges and I, I can see a lot of them now as well. It's, um, <clears throat> I suppose one of the biggest ones is um, from an from a, a agency point of view and I think from an internal point of view as well is, uh, is uh, convincing, convincing others that they need to be able to, to, to take this different view, mm-hmm. um, which is almost like selling trust, uh, which is challenging. Uh, but you have to find a way of, of making it making it clear that, that you need to be able to sell that passion in mm-hmm. uh, in order for your clients or your uh, your boss to be able to do what you you think that they need to be able to do. Um, I think the other big challenge I think is hundred percent people and uh, what they what preconceptions of what they think they're able to do. In fact. My biggest challenge as a business owner and um, specifically in, a, in, in an SEO agency that's now doing a lot of creative work is almost uh, deleting the knowledge they previously had about what they could and couldn't do. Because the only real thing that's stopping people to achieving, really achieving, is that they think that they can't. And, and, and of course you can't if you think that you can't. It's like your body will listen to everything that you tell it. And yes. if you constantly say to yourself, this is really difficult, this is really difficult, you're going to find it difficult. Yeah. That is not rocket science. <laughs> but um, helping people come to that realization, I, I found extremely challenging uh, because uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't have obvious patterns when it comes to recruitment. Um, uh, and, and finding those people that... that 
that that can can do things. Like for example, the guy that worked on the outreach for Norway, um, uh, he's amazing because uh, he didn't think that he couldn't contact the royal family or right. the army, right. which is exactly why he got there. Yeah, he wouldn't because, accept that as as not no. an option. No, it, it's like it, no one told him that you can do that, and that's because he's he's actually. He's been working there for a year, and he came straight out of university. And it's almost like it's almost easier to teach uh, sure. those graduates that uh, that hasn't been jaded by things that yes. people have have told them for years that you can only do this, you can't do that. You can. I don't want anyone to believe that tripe, because it is totally your own decision whether you can or can't do it. There's no one that can tell you otherwise. But saying that. It's, we're touching on a really important issue here, and that is mindset. Yeah. And that is what I'm hearing is the biggest obstacle and one of the biggest challenges when it comes to content or anything for that matter, any business venture. You know, was it Henry Ford or someone who said, if you, oh, maybe it was Lincoln who said, whether you believe you can or you can't, either way, you're probably right. Yeah. You know, something exactly. like that. Um, yeah. So that's interesting. So you often find that the people who start with no prejudices about what they can or can't achieve with no none of these rules in their head are the ones who are most likely to just go out and just do it instead of yeah. trying to jump through their own mental hurdles. Yeah, and in fact, they will get it much faster because they haven't got, had a preconception of what they can't do. In fact, what I would say in the seven years I've, I've run an SEA agency, um, more times than not, the people that I have hired that already have experience, uh, I have to retrain or uh, uh, really work on the change in the mentality. While the people I've had coming in um, without any uh, experience um, have, have got it quicker. But then there's always other challenges with people that haven't been anywhere else because obviously they have no perspective of uh, of of um, how things work in, in not kind of working life and that kind of stuff, but sure. I, that is that tends to be true. In fact, I have people I, I've worked with people at Verve that have have been in in search for one year that I genuinely think uh, understands and gets it more than people that I know in the industry that have been there for, been in the industry for ten years. Like right. it is not necessarily. In fact, this is the kind of discipline where it's not necessarily about. Um, uh, time and uh, we're not in prison basically we're not zoning time for 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 experience <laughs> and uh, in fact it's almost more likely the other way around in fact um what i would say i have found and i, I have a a very keen interest in understanding this part from a recruitment point of view is i think there is a pattern in um in understanding people that um that have overcome something um, if they have overcome something in their life whatever that is personal or work or whatever they are more likely to be able to change their view no matter where they came from right so um would you like to hear my rubber band theory yeah sure please okay so uh, i've got this theory um which is it's not by psychologists or anything but uh, yeah. bear with me it makes it makes sense in the end um so it's a bit like if you imagine a rubber band when you first buy it it will be like tiny tiny rubber band yeah um and uh, and that's how that's it, it, you really struggle to stretch it yeah so if you imagine rubber band being the same as someone's experiences mm -hmm. and uh, and abilities um so uh, their mental abilities i mean so uh, imagine it gets stretched or so things happen and mm -hmm. and you've overcome loads of things and uh, you might have had a difficult childhood or you might have had difficult times and this then expands uh, your band Mm -hmm. um, the, the really interesting thing that happened uh, that can be good and bad for both sides is that once you have been stretched, it's very unlikely you'll go back to this. Yes. You'll be able to see things in a very different way. Mm -hmm. And what I've kind of tended to see is that people that have had some kind of uh, overcoming something or like it could be anything from like, it doesn't need to be bad things happen. It could be like they, they've been really into sports or they've been a, 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 like a swimmer or professional mm -hmm. this. Or, um, they've had to really mentally stretch themselves. Yes. Or it could be personal things as well. And I know that from my own being is that I'm dyslexic and I, I was utter awful at school. Like it's almost like educational system for me just didn't click. 
And yeah. I went for a long time thinking I was a bit stupid. Yes. Um, and then it wasn't before in my, my 20s that I realized I had a superpower. Yes. And that is my superpower is not believing anyone else about what I can and can't do. Right. And that means I'm actually quite powerful in what I'm able to achieve because I don't believe anyone's definition of what I can and can't do. Right. And so that for, for me actually was created because of uh, things that weren't easy and because of the, the rubber band being stretched. Mm-hmm. Now, what you find quite interesting, though, is that uh, anyone with a rubber band that's quite stretched really struggles to understand the, the mental uh, being and the, 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 the thought process of someone with a really small rubber band. Okay. But it's someone with a bigger rubber band's responsibility to, to go in to understand someone with a smaller rubber band. Yeah. And that in business have actually taught me a lot about working with people, bringing people together, and also trying to figure out who has those bands because you can push them forward much faster because they are already supple enough to be able to see things in a different perspective or change it. At, at, at speed yes. because someone with a smaller rubber band is more likely to think well actually uh, I've never done this before so I don't want to do it even mm. any tiny little change like even changing the office will be uncomfortable to them yes yes so I have tried to find a way of of uh, finding people that have the ability to change and adapt quickly because they they can see things slightly differently Okay, the next step of this podcast or next phase is let's talk about action. So the actions that a listener can take is figure out how to open your mind and how to question yourself and to challenge your assumptions. Don't assume that just because it hasn't been done before, it can't be done. Practice developing a good mindset and and improving on your mindset every day. Don't just accept things because that's how they've always been. Question everything. Yes, yes. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. In fact, um, I would like the, to, to encourage the, use, the, the people that are watching now to do this. Um, and can you do this as well? Yep, sure. Hold your fingers like this. Yes. Uh, and far, a bit far apart. Yep. And then I would like you to repeat out loud yes. uh, fingers coming together. Fingers. So we're going to do this a few times. Fingers okay. coming together. Fingers, fingers coming, coming together. together. Fingers, fingers coming, coming together. together. Fingers, fingers coming, coming together. together. Fingers yeah, coming it's together. happening. Yeah. That's How weird, weird is that? Yeah. Your body, your brain will do what you tell it to. Right. You need to be the master of yourself and 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 say those things that you want to happen, not all the crap that you don't want to happen. Right. That's very interesting. That actually happened despite my attempt at not letting it happen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> which is interesting. Okay, so um that's fantastic. I mean, this podcast has, this episode has become a lot about mindset, which I absolutely love. So thank you very much for sharing your thoughts on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so could you talk to us about some books that have had a big impact on you and why they've had such a big impact? Sure. Um, I'm, a, uh, I'm a big lover of books. Um, although I'm, I'm quite dyslexic and Norwegian reading in English, um, I think that's also one of the things I do a lot. But I'm also a big fan of Audible, so listening to books. Oh, yes, yes. And so for me, uh, listening to business books is easier than reading. So I do fiction on Kindle and Audible on them. And um, one of the, I suppose, one of the most uh, most important books to me um, has been uh, a book called Blink by Malcolm Gladwell. Yes, yep. Um, which is very much uh, about this kind of mindset and believing in your uh, subconscious. It's about thin slicing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about how much your subconscious actually knows. And I read this book about three years ago. And I kid you not, in this three years, I have achieved a ridiculous amount from a business level because it it clicked something in my brain where I realized that I know a lot more than I th- then my conscious, a logical mind thinks I know. And that kind of settled me in believing that, I suppose everyone has this kind of self-doubt uh, that mm. everyone else knows more. Mm. Um, and this kind of couple with that, that power of, of thinking people can't define what I know and don't want um, really propelled me from a business point of view. Okay. So Blink, Malcolm Gladwell, definitely in the top. Definitely including that in the show notes. So what's the best way that the audience can get in contact with you or find out more about you? 
So uh, Twitter, I'm on Twitter, Lisa, Lisa D. Myers. Um, also our website, verbsearch.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, LinkedIn, if, if they, they want to go on, on LinkedIn, is fine. Cool. Um, yes. Well, I'll definitely be following you on Twitter and connect with you on LinkedIn as well. I'm at Ashroy Helps on, on Twitter. Thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you so much. And thank you for letting me ramble about the things that I really believe in. Well, it was wonderful. That's the best interview to have, really. So thank you. So there you have it. Another excellent episode from the CEO and the owner of Verve Search. A special thank you to Rand Fishkin for introducing us. Now, I must acknowledge the quote, question everything, is something I got from my friend James Shramko. So I'd like to give credit where credit is due, and that's his motto, question everything. If you'd like to check out some of James's podcasts, you might want to check out episode number two or episode number 50, where we've talked quite a bit about mindset. And as always, the show notes will have all the links, including the links to these related episodes that I am about to mention. Now, some other episodes that you might find useful if you enjoyed this episode are episode number 55 with Ezra Firestone, which talks largely about e-commerce, but towards the end, we talk a fair bit about mindset. Episode number 53 with Prathima Ravabhumi, who recently sold her consulting business for eight figures. That's a fantastic episode around mindset. Episode number 52 with Kyle Tully, where we talked about specific mindset techniques to 10x your prices. There was a great episode called $50 million in counting that I did with Ed O'Keefe. That was episode number 22. You might enjoy that as well. Now, when it comes to content marketing, there are some pretty useful episodes that you might find enjoyable. Episode number one with Neil Patel talks about the general overall strategy around content marketing a little bit and branding. Episode number six with Chris Garrett from Copyblogger, where we talked specifically about content marketing. And Chris actually teaches content marketing at university, so he really is qualified to speak authoritatively about it. Episode number three with John Morrow on how he used blogging to build a seven-figure business. Episode number 32 with Dan Norris on his book, The Content Machine, which came out earlier in 2015. And episode number 38 with Rand Fishkin, of course, on how to create great SEO-friendly content. That's an absolute must-listen. Another really good episode is episode number 41 with Eric Enger from Stone Temple Consulting. It's called Mobile Geddon is Here. Is your site mobile responsive? Please do stop by and leave a review on iTunes and share this podcast with as many people as you can so we can get this information out to as many wonderful folks like yourselves. Thanks for listening and talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Productive Insights Podcast. You can find all the links in the show notes below this episode on ProductiveInsights.com. You can also ask questions in the comments section that Ash personally answers. How can Ash help you today?